Welcome back to Living a Whole Christian Life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and I'm sitting here listening to the rain pitter-pattering outside on a Tuesday afternoon. It's good to be with you again. And today we're going to resume our series on silence. It's the last of our pieces of our framework, and we're going to talk about closing that up in the next two weeks. But I'm excited to come back to this topic, because the previous week we talked about the benefits of silence from a scientific standpoint. And certainly theologically, it's long been known that silence is one of the keys to finding God and feeling his present in our daily lives. Again, much of this material is taken from my book, Holiness with a WH, The Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness, and Heaven. So as we're seeking out silence in our daily lives, there's so many different ways that we can experience this. It might be the silence of a morning walk or the quietness of an evening prayer or doing both at the same time. It might be the silence of an hour in the chapel or the silence of a snowstorm. So many times, so many places in our lives, silence is available. Again, the question is whether or not we're seeking it out. And in fact, Christ himself constantly sought out silence in his own life. Once for 40 days and 40 nights, he went alone in the wilderness without another human being. So from the beginning of millennia, silence has been a part of who we are. But as we know, we live in a busy, frenetic, noisy place these days. And the question is, how are we cultivating silence? How are we actually cultivating in our daily lives, finding this, what we know that we need from a physical standpoint and a psychological standpoint and a spiritual standpoint. So I'm going to put forth what I think are seven keys to really building the beauty of silence in your daily life. And the first one is to make sure that our homes have a number of silent sanctuaries. One of the biggest threats to silence is the screens in too many rooms. Whether it's the screens or it's music or whatever, is there are rooms so many times are wired up. And I think it depends on you know where you're listening and I ask you to kind of consider your own home, but too many rooms that are wired means it's difficult to create that silent sanctuary that you so often need. And actually in our own home, it's interesting. We have a TV in the main room and we do have laptops that kind of go back and forth between the kitchen and the living room. But the rest of our house really is a silent sanctuary. Our bedrooms are free of screens. Um, Our bathrooms are free of screens. The outdoor area is free of any artificial noise. And even the front room, although the laptop can certainly find its way in there, is free of being wired up. And I think this is really huge key because if you consider that whatever's in your environment, you will likely adopt without thinking about it. The reality is that if you have a screen or have a T, whatever it is, you're likely to kind of gravitate towards that. And so if we're really serious about cultivating silence, building the beauty of it in our daily lives, we have to look at our own home first and consider just how much of it is a silent sanctuary. How much of it allows me to just sit back and listen, reflect, to meditate? The second key is leaving behind our mobile devices whenever possible. Now, again, I know that that's difficult for, you know, many of you listening, and I'll talk more about some of the choices I've made myself, but leaving those mobile devices behind, you know, maybe it's just a brief walk, or maybe it's actually sitting outside on the porch and making sure that the mobile device is inside. The challenge is, is that not only is it the noise that comes from the ding of the text or, or the call or whatever else that can disrupt the silence that we need, the reality is that we found scientifically that even when your phone actually is on silent, your mind is still preoccupied by it. So it could be on silent completely, but your mind is still there wondering, kind of curious what's coming in. 
And so in essence, you're not really you know, cultivating that interior silence. So again, the second is whenever possible, leave that mobile device behind and allow yourself to just reflect. It might be even, you know, one of my favorite things throughout the day at work is just the walk across the parking lot from my building to where I get food in the hospital. And it's just a moment, again, and there's a lot of noise around me, but the reality is that there's that interior silence. You know, I'm not connected at all. People can't get a hold of me. And even just for a few minutes, I'm able to kind of reflect and discern what the day has been. The third key is institute regular periods of silence in the home. Now, again, with eight kids, I recognize this can be a real challenge sometimes. And, you know, whether you're watching movies or there's things that are going on that they need the computer for, periodic TV and Internet's not the problem. But hours upon hours upon hours of never turning it off is. And so we really need to think about, especially for those of us raising kids, when are the periodic times when everything goes off at home? You know, when are the times that we might institute a moratorium on noise, uh, artificial noise, maybe Tuesday nights? are just free from any of that, free from TV, free from internet use, free from anything that's not required maybe by school. So, but, you know, if we don't have these moratoriums, if we don't have these periods of silence built in, we start to unconsciously adopt this idea that we can't really be silent at all, that if we're kind of bored, we've got to gravitate towards turning something on. And so building this in for ourselves, and especially for our kids, unconsciously teaches us that we can find other sources of entertainment, other sources of just peace without creating the noise. Number four, put the kids, again, I know this is actually for you parents out there, but put the kids to bed on time as much as possible. And again, we struggle sometimes with all that's going on in our own lives, so I get this as a challenge. But putting the kids to bed on time and striving to do the same for ourselves says that we are prioritizing the peace in our lives, that we're prioritizing a sense of quietness. Um, You know, part of the kids going to bed is just us as adults having the time where there isn't a lot of noise, even at the end of the night, at the end of a very long day. And if you think about it, if you as parents never get any time alone, any time where it's just quiet, you can sit down and read a book, it's often difficult to reset. But we also need the quiet time in our own beds. And I think that, you know, the reason, and we'll talk more in the coming weeks, but we were programmed to sleep 25 years of our lives. Lots of mammals don't sleep anywhere near that at all. It's clearly God's design sleep is critical, not just from a rejuvenation standpoint, not just from a repair standpoint from our tissue, but I would argue from a reset standpoint for sure. So again, put the kids to bed on time as much as possible and strive to do the same for ourselves. Number five, as far as the keys of building the beauty of silence in our lives, number five is seeking out regular opportunities to do mundane activities in silence. Now you may think to yourself, wow, that sounds like a blast, right? Well, it may not be the kind of blast that amusement park may be, may not be the kind of blast that a dramatic movie may be, but I would argue that doing mundane activities in silence, it might be raking leaves or doing dishes or chopping wood or weeding in the backyard, whatever, not only provides this great sense of ability to reflect, this great sense of ability to have the time to just let our mind wander, have the time to have conversations with God, you know, whatever those might be like. Have the time just to kind of like not be focused on something. But beyond this, it connects us with millennia of people who spent much of their lives working and playing in the silence of the world. And, you know, I mentioned a little ways back, I think about Little House on the Prairie, and I think one of the neat things about that whole series was you got a sense that the people of that time were so much more connected to the rhythm of the seasons 
to the rhythm of life and the beauty that lie around because really they didn't have the distractions that we have. When they were out in the fields, they didn't have anything in their earbuds. They didn't have an ability to hear music constantly to pull them away what was going on in the fields. And you often kind of wonder, I mean, think about that. They spent decades of their lives immersed in silence. My great-grandfather and great-grandmother lived or were married in a small farm near Troy, Indiana, out in the middle of Perry County. It's a beautiful landscape out there. And my mom, as a city girl from near the Speedway track in Indianapolis, still to this day, if you asked her what's the most nostalgic place that you can think of in your life, she would instantly say, it's that homestead. It's that you know little farm down in Troy, Indiana, where I used to go for weeks on end to remove myself from the city of my life, from the busyness of life in the big city. And she would come out on those in that farm and, and she loved so many pieces of it. But I think one of the things she actually loved as much as anything was the expanse of silence that it likely afforded her. Now, again, you know, she grew up in the, the 50s and 60s, so you might argue, well, she wasn't exposed to the level of noise that we are today. But she still had noise that surrounded her, not just the city noise, but the noise of even the neighborhood and everything else. And then you walk out, and having been there at night and spent the night there, you walk out, and you hear the crickets, and you hear, you see the lightning bugs, and you recognize that you are in this expanse of silence. So I realize that we don't all have that opportunity to go out to a farm away from everywhere else, but we do have an opportunity to do these mundane activities in silence, do simple things so that we can hear ourselves and hear God. Number six of the keys to finding and building the beauty of silence in our own lives, it's finding the trails, finding those natural areas near you, and becoming intimately familiar with them. Depending on where you're living and and you're listening right now, you might say, well, I don't have a lot of trails near me. You know, I have a lot of outdoor areas. And I recognize that for some, that's more difficult than others. But increasingly in this country, there's a really beautiful movement towards creating and preserving these natural areas. And maybe it's just a mile or a half mile trail that's nearby. Maybe it's nothing spectacular, certainly not like our national parks. Although for those of you who live nearby, um, anything that's, you know, like our national parks or national monuments or whatever, you are certainly blessed. But whatever the trail, it really doesn't make a big difference in the sense that you, moment you find yourself on these, you know, sacred natural places, it's the moment that we can shed our pretenses and our statuses and our demands for who we are and first and foremost remind ourselves that we are a child of God. I think that's one of the most beautiful things over the years as I've run and and hiked so many miles on trails is that when I'm out there, I mean, the deer don't care who I am. The trees don't care who I am. No matter what's gone on during my week, no matter what the expectations for me are, when I find myself in silence in those beautiful natural areas, it's not only as raw as it can be, but it's just in many ways as refreshing as it can be. Because no longer do people have all these expectations for me. Out there by myself and just on the trails, you know, it really becomes the silence of my soul in that way. And number seven, number seven of the keys is an interesting one. And I hope that you really will give this a possibility if you haven't done this before. But I would argue that going out in inclement weather, in rain or snow, you know, whatever kind of reasonable inclement weather. I'm not advocating for a tromp through a tornado here, (laughs) but I am saying that rain and snow showers, um, in fact, what we've had today as I was biking home from work, there's something very softening. There's something very relaxing. One of my favorite things to do, favorite things to do throughout the year, I love it so much, is that when it snows, 
I love getting out like a nearby golf course or I love getting out even on the roadways because people aren't out there as much on the sidewalks. But I really love there was a place that when we lived in Louisville, it was called the Cherokee Golf Course. And I just remember when we moved over there, one of the beautiful things, we had a really huge snow one year. And the joy of getting out that night as the snow was coming down and it softened the entire environment around me was so peaceful and it was so moving. And whatever cold there might have been, it was bundled up well. I just found myself just tromping up and down the hills in this glorious sense of peace. It was a busy year. It was an internship year, kind of my final year of my doctorate training. It was a pretty stressful year. And I could still remember to this day hiking up those hills. And it was dark. It was probably eight or nine at night. And it was just me alone in the snow and the snowy traverse there. And so whatever it is, I I would argue that getting out sometimes in the inclement weather, you know, get yourself dressed up and go out. And you'll find that there is a softness, a place where silence is cultivated more than our everyday lives. So again, seven keys to building the beauty of silence. Number one, make sure the home has a number of silent sanctuaries. Number two, leave the mobile devices whenever possible behind. Number three, institute regular periods of silence in the home. Number four, for you parents out there, put the kids to bed on time and strive to do the same for ourselves. And for those of you who are not parents, strive to do the same for yourself regardless of getting to bed when you should. Number five, seek out regular opportunities to do mundane activities in silence. Number six, find the trails and the natural areas near to you and become intimately familiar with them. And number seven, go out in the rain and snow and inclement weather and find the softness that's out there when the environment is saturated with something more than just air. So at the end of the day, ultimately, what we find is that the beauty of silence is not just seeking out quieter, more peaceful environments in the external. It's ultimately about cultivating an interior life in which we had come to hear our own voice and that of God's and come to understand where they diverge and where they converge. In the end of the day, That's what silence is about. It's hearing your voice and it's hearing God's voice. And sometimes you don't really know which one is which. Sometimes we struggle to even understand. But the idea is that in that interior life where silence is a key part, where it's a part of the framework, the key thing is that you're listening and you are hearing and you're not shrouded in so much noise that you can't hear in the first place. So wherever you are tonight, whatever is going on, wherever you are, if it's in the morning, whatever time it is, consider today where and how are you going to begin to build the beauty of silence in your own life? This is Jim Schrader. Be holy. Be whole.